Welcome to Season 11 of Retrain Your Brain with me, Chartered Psychologist Dr. Audrey Tang. As usual, it's about 10 minutes on my couch to reframe life's little questions. I'm starting this season with a question which kind of goes against a lot of what I do. And that is asking, what if therapy itself is not fit for purpose? Now, I watched a program recently about how Singapore is supporting those who are struggling financially. And the report started off by questioning whether one should look a gift horse in the mouth by rejecting or discarding the donations from food banks. And certainly what I was seeing on screen was that households were really reliant on support, but their houses were overflowing with unopened cans. But then the representatives of the charity spoke. They explained that what can sometimes happen when we donate is that we give things we don't want or need rather than thinking, well, what do I love and use that others may also love and use? And then add to that the health and mobility restrictions for seniors. For example, a can without a ring pull would not always be able to be opened by someone with limited dexterity and canned fruits and syrups would be very damaging to a diabetic. Whilst people wanted to help and contribute, what was being offered was just not fit for purpose. So what resulted was a collaboration between the government, the charities and the organisations to now offer vending machines with healthy options placed in areas of need accessible with a food card, innovative packaging for nutritionally designed foods which could be eaten with or without heating up and could be stored without a fridge, and even changes in the law so that companies could feel more able to donate potential wasted food. The Singapore system learned through working with those who needed it and it began to work better. And this made me reflect on psychological therapy. The term therapy is defined specifically as administered via a medical professional. I myself would not be qualified as my doctorate is a PhD, not a medical qualification. I would also separate medical therapy such as chemotherapy from psychological therapy, for example, CBT, Gestalt, psychodynamic and so on. Now, I've been brought up with a largely westernised view of healing, which largely involves medical intervention, over-the-counter tablets, as well as psychological intervention, talking therapy. But the more I've interviewed service users as well as well-being practitioners, I'm beginning to question the rationale I have long ascribed to, and I'm asking whether our system needs to learn another way. At no point am I suggesting an alternative to medical intervention, at least not yet, but I am questioning whether talking therapy as the main psychological approach on offer is the only way to go, or even the most appropriate. Talking doesn't always work. Many service users I've spoken to either explain that they struggle to access the overwhelmed services in the first place, but then when they have been seen, they're just not yet in a position to talk, much less answer the seemingly standard questions that psychotherapists they've seen ask. Therapists themselves have observed that some cultures are not even accessing therapy, not because, as many reports state, they don't want to access services 
or as a nod to cultural differences because mental health service is not in alignment with the cultural beliefs, but rather because those services on offer are not effective to their needs. What I mean by that is sitting in a room one-on-one and being expected to talk about feelings that you may not even understand yourself can feel like a very alien concept. And then if the therapist themselves doesn't fully understand your cultural standpoint, this can add to a sense of threat, fear or conflict. There are some current, I use the words in inverted commas, alternatives available. Joanne Du is currently pioneering a blend of Western therapy with Chinese calligraphy through Chinese calligraphy enhanced therapy. And this approach blends the mindful practice of calligraphy with a familiarity of construct to express in addition to the therapist writing in the same language, which really helps offer the East and Southeast Asian community a bridge to the support available. Dennis Rolojo Howell, who's the founder of award-winning psychology blog PsychReg, is exploring how blogging may be an accessible form of intervention or expression, especially for millennials who prefer to write or even vlog rather than sitting in a counselling suite. And there are many other approaches to finding headspace and being able to seek direction. For example, the highly respected wellness foundry for tarot, energy, spiritual, intuitive work is one. Another includes the EMDR or Reiki or mindfulness or religious support as other interventions. Not only that, but there's also now an approach to depression, addressing it as an ambulatory or movement related disorder, best treated and managed through mobility and exercise. And then add to that the benefits of nature and exercising and laughter on the brain's neurochemistry that can reduce the production of stress hormones. I would even venture that coaching and training, my preferred form of self-help through practical exercises, would also fall within this unconventional sphere. You then do have the slightly more blendable art, dance and drama therapy because the practitioners are recognised by the HCPC. Or alternatively to those, you do have interventions firmly classed as therapeutic rather than therapy themselves, and they may be fitness classes and yoga. But is it really too simplistic for me to say, you know what, if it works for you to create headspace, to feel that you're in control, to know that you can and are making a positive and meaningful contribution to life and are enjoying it on the way as the WHO would like us to do, then why worry about it? So for a minute, I'd like to think about alternative versus complementary therapy. Now, I have always chosen to call what I do a complement to medical advice and intervention, and certainly to some extent to GP prescribed psychotherapy as well. I don't really call it an alternative. Whilst I would still be keen to say that is definitely the case for medical intervention, I'm no longer so sure about whether I'm just a complement or actually a potential alternative, that is me being a trainer, to psychological therapy. I do appreciate that when it comes to healing from trauma and treating mental ill health, having an understanding of the causes and a removal of some of the old rules or beliefs that we might have plays a huge part in reducing the emotional impact. I'm simply saying 
that I don't always believe that talking therapy is the most appropriate cure nor relief. And for some, I don't necessarily think you need to talk to uncover anything. You may do better simply learning healthier coping mechanisms or even just unloading some concerns to a listening ear. I'm not writing this to discredit anyone. I'm also certainly not promoting one intervention over another. But as cliched as it sounds, there is part of me that asks, isn't there room for all of us? Just as an example, in a recent training session, I gave conventional trained therapists some of my teaching tools as methods of uncovering the things that a client may be feeling and would have to voice in therapy, but these exercises offer a bit of a shortcut. So I understand that therapy does a certain thing, but I also understand that for some, therapy is not what they need right now. So before you consider the alternatives or the compliments, there does need to be some sort of regulation. And I do want to talk about that because it is most certainly not about these other forms of help preying on the vulnerable. But those at the top of their field when it comes to wellness, I do trust have only healthy intentions and are using their skills to help you. That's, for example, why I offer these podcasts. I offer my training on my YouTube channel all of that for free. What you pay for when you bring me in is a tailored approach designed specifically for your teams. There is an irony to unregulated professions. In speaking to Fingal Greenlaw of the Wellness Foundry, he explained that anyone working within spiritual practice still has to class themselves as entertainment. And it's because of this that his work can't be regulated. This is surely doing this area of wellness practice a huge disservice and also penalises those hoping to use the service because you don't know who you're working with. And yes, you can say, well, certain practices are classed entertainment for a reason, but isn't that a little bit reductionist? Okay, psychology is based in some degree of empiricism, but even then, all the results that anyone has ever found can be confounded by many variables and a reliance on qualitative data and interpretation. Further than that, much of Eastern philosophy, for example, is based in a spiritual approach. And with recent statistics showing that more than 50% of 13 to 25 year olds are turning to things like tarot to seek answers, and 18 to 25 year olds are returning to the church in a time of uncertainty, and this is research conducted by the Springtide Research Institute in 2021, I would say, if we are trying things out for support because talking therapy isn't for us or isn't available and we do not want to take a medical prescription, surely it doesn't hurt to be directing people to those in the field with a good reputation and integrity to match their practitioner skills. Therefore, it's a real shame that certain practices can only be seen as entertainment. And to kind of hammer this point home, how much of a science was psychology anyway? Something that many don't realise, nor even fully discuss about psychology, are its roots. 
in many of the philosophical approaches of some of the first pioneers, they took a spiritual standpoint. But so desperate is psychology to have itself recognised as a science, there is huge emphasis on what is provable. But many of the first scientists, Copernicus, Kepler and Galileo, began not only as astrologers who cast horoscopes for work, but because they believed in them. And founders of psychology, for example, William James, were themselves interested in spirituality and psychic phenomena. And many of their critics, when you actually look at the historical context, were upset not by a lack of scientific methodology, but simply because of differing religious beliefs. As long as you are mindful of the importance of, at the very least, self-regulation of the professions you're exploring in any field, then I would actually say, if you're aware, it doesn't hurt you and it doesn't put you into debt, and if something resonates with you to make the changes you want, you need to do what works for you. We have a tendency to have a passion for the field within which we work, but this means we can sometimes be overprotective of it. And that can be very limiting, not only for us, but those whom we're trying to help. Well-being must be accessible to all. What works for one may not work for others. Accessibility is about being open, open to ideas, open to alternatives, open to approaches. Yes, we must think critically. We must be aware of what to expect and what red flags to watch out for. But to say that only one approach, even though it may be the one most widely practiced in our field, is the only way, may be doing many service users a huge disservice. And that's all we have time for. But for more, do check out my website, www.draudreyt.com, which has links to my YouTube channel where I've got loads of practical tips. Or join me on Tuesday nights at 9pm on NLive Radio for the Wellbeing Lounge, where I talk to tons of amazing guests on everything to do with mental health and fitness. That's www.nliveradio.com. <laughs>